As we each get closer and closer to Christmas, our schedules get a little busier, planning becomes a little more chaotic, but there are a few things I want to make sure you are considering for your calendar coming from us as a church. November 19th, uh, just a week from this Friday, in fact, by the time you're watching this, it'll be less than a week away, there is a night of worship for the ladies in our church and our community. Um, you do not have to be a member at Rich Fork to attend that. Anybody can be here for that evening. That is at 6.30 on the 19th. Then, an opportunity for you to serve our community is coming your way on November 27th. That is the Saturday before uh, the Sunday parade in downtown Thomasville. And we're just calling that Thomasville Clean Sweep. Uh, that's an opportunity for you to come and for us to literally walk and pick up the trash and the things along the street and the parade route. The city has asked us if we would do that. Uh, would we reach out and be a part of our community? This is a way to shape our community uh, in this really unique way. If you want to be a part of that, it will begin on that 27th at 8.30 a.m. All the details and the registration page are on the event page at richfort.com. Um, make sure you sign up for that so we know that we have plenty of help for that day. Then December 10th, a community Christmas. This is a night to infuse uh, some hope, laughter, singing and celebration and fellowship with each other and our community. This will take place on that evening from 6 p.m. to 9 p.m. And while we don't require you to register to attend this evening, it'll be outside. We do need your help in two specific areas. One we started last Sunday. We have a giant craft project that we need your help in collecting mason jars and battery-operated tea lights. We started out needing a 1,000. We still need several hundred jars, and, but this week you've blown us away with bringing by hundreds and hundreds of jars. Now we need those battery-operated tea lights. Also for December 10th, uh, on Sunday, we are going to turn on the link for you to sign up to volunteer for that evening. Uh, we will open up that volunteer form. We're going to need dozens of volunteers that evening and during the weeks leading up to that night together. You might be handy with a hammer, you might be great with a paintbrush, or organizing events and items, praying with people, meeting new guests. We're gonna need all those gifts and abilities and so much more. The link to all of those registrations for all of those events, more of that information can be found at richfork.com events. That's a lot for you to handle, but again, all of it can be found in one place at richfork.com slash events. As we continue with our time in God's word, the book of James, let's pray together. God, guide us as we continue our examination and our walking into these words from the New Testament, from your word, by uh, a brother that we've come to love and come to for me to anticipate, but also to anticipate with an honest, well, what now? What, what is James going to examine in my life now? But God, may we know that his intention, your intention, your word as a whole, desires to grow us up in our faith. Guide us as we walk through this passage online and as those are with us on Sunday. In Jesus' name, amen. We have been walking through the book of James for nine weeks. 
We only have a few more weeks remaining to gain more wisdom and guidance from James. James, as does all of God's word to us in the Bible, has the desire to grow us up in our faith. Today, we're gonna be in chapter four. And while I would love to review our previous eight weeks of James, we just don't have the time to do that today. But I do think it is imperative for us to do a quick rewind of the past three weeks because these three messages could really be connected. Let me explain it this way. As we enter James chapter two, verse 14, we entered a recurring theme and really the heart of the book of James, faith without works is dead. Chapter two, verse 26. Then we stepped into our discussion about our words, the power of the tongue in our lives and in our conversations. Then we pursued the pursuit of wisdom. And today, another practical in our face passage from James where he addresses our relationships, particularly why we quarrel and fight, what's behind those emotions, and how important it is to submit those moments to the Lord. Allow me to summarize these four weeks this way. Faith without works is dead. Chapter 2, verse 26. Faith impacts our words, which lead to life or death. Faith leads to a pursuit of wisdom, and wisdom is faith in action, and faith impacts our relationships. Oftentimes we come to Scripture and to preach it or teach it, and we study it throughout the layout and the format which we have in copies of our Scripture, even the guide that we have given you. But it's important to remember that the book of James is one long letter to early Christians scattered throughout this region of the world. And many of the themes that we have explored are not separated uh, by titles and chapter headings. Instead, it's one cohesive flowing thought from a beloved leader in the early church to people that he loves, people that he cares for, people that he desires for them to grow up in their faith. James following his providing us guidance on pursuing and acting in wisdom, steps into yet another powerful area of our lives, relationships. More specifically, quarrels, fights, and disagreements. Now, instead of reading through the entire passage and rewinding, I want to walk through this with you today, question by question, verse by verse. James chapter four, verse one, the very beginning Join me as we examine this first question from James. Chapter four, verse one. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Seriously? What causes fights and quarrels? What does this imply about the early group of believers? About the early communities of faith that James was speaking to? Here's what it tells us. They had disagreements. Why and how do we know that? They were human. Because they were human, they were sinful. And even in their pursuit of holiness and godliness, they had moments which caused turmoil and disagreement. The early church was not perfect. The early church of Corinth, they ended up dividing into factions at times. The Philippian church, they had two women involved in a disagreement. In the book of Acts, the early church had to handle several items which were causing tension and decisions and actions of the early church. 
The reality is this, the church, the gathering of believers to serve other believers and to impact their community, to lead them to the hope of Jesus Christ, has and will always have moments of disagreements and quarrels and relationships to mend and heal. Why? Do we fight because we like to call and say, well, we fight because the devil made us do it? Or do we fight because false teachings and teachers have crept into the church? Both of those have some truth to them. But James asks the question, what causes fights and quarrels? And while we're still trying to wrestle through and give an answer, James moves on to the next question. He says it this way. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this? That your passions are at war within you? The message is an interpretation of Scripture says it this way. Where do you all think all these appalling wars and quarrels come from? Do you think they just happen? Think again. They come about because you want your own way and fight for it deep inside yourselves. James comes right back around where we dwelt part of our time with last week. The simple truth that the majority of our quarrels and fights begin and end with my pursuit of my selfish desires and my longings. Eventually, James is delivering to us this wise but simplistically powerful statement. I will stand my ground in getting my way and I'll fight you for it. Think about the last time you had a fight or uh, a disagreement with a spouse or a family member about something simple. Let's, let's get as minor as you can. Where do we go out to eat? The conversation happens like this. Well, where do you want to go to eat? Well, I don't know. You decide. No, you decide. Really? Okay. How about Mexican? Mm. Okay. The okay, the way you reply doesn't mean you're Okay. It implies that you had your heart set on something else. And they ask, well, I can tell that's not what you wanted, but you told me to decide. No, really, it's okay. We walk in, we sit down, we order. But the vibe that somebody at the table is putting off is, I really don't want to be here. Your guest, your family member, your spouse, whomever you're with, says, you okay? Yeah, but I, I really want a Chinese food. Well, why didn't you say so? Now, as this goes on, by the end of the night, if we allow this discussion to move forward and really permeate our, our evening, we become upset at each other because, well, we didn't take a stand on why, or we took a stand on saying, well, I didn't get my way. I didn't get my pick. This is a very scaled down version, very scaled down version of where James is heading. But there, as James told us, in chapter 1, verse 14, drawing in each of us based on our own desires, it is through those longings and through those desires and wants that most of our fights and our battles and wars begin. What are those deep desires which are battling within us? He explains. First, he says, there is the desire for more. You desire and you do not have. You murder, you covet, you cannot obtain. So you fight and you quarrel. 
A more literal translation of James' original language uh, provides a clearer picture of what James is painting for us. The New American Standard says it this way, you lust and you do not have, so you commit murder. You're envious and cannot obtain, so you fight and you quarrel. James says, you're envious. You cannot obtain. Behind that is the idea of envy, to covet, to want someone else's possessions. We want what they have. Now, when we're jealous, we have what we want and we don't want to lose it. Jealousy is, quite honestly, at times easy to spot. But envy, it's sneaky. It's subtle. Envy, by James' admission, is the urging to have something that we can't quite get a hold of. How do we examine whether or not we struggle? How do I examine whether I struggle with envy? Maybe a couple ideas. When someone gets a promotion at work, maybe a role that deep down inside you thought you'd receive, what's the response? When someone's recognized for an accomplishment, what's your reaction? How do you share the news? Maybe it's like this. Did you hear? She got the award for the best employee of the month. But we all know how she got there. Did you hear? Did you see his new car? But he'll wreck it. Who knows? He probably can't even afford it. Did you see? She looks great in that dress, but I wonder how long she'll be able to fit in it. Those are questions and statements made out of, James says, envy. You can't quite get a hold of it. When we're driven by envy, our quarrels come because we don't have what we want. And we simply can't allow someone else to enjoy what we desire. In those moments, we must choose contentment over being contentious. Contentment is a peace in who we are in Christ. Comfortable and secure. Being able to surrender our frustrations to the Lord. Contentment is living through a relationship with Jesus Christ. And knowing we are enough. Not because of what we do or don't have, but because of the grace and mercy we've been given in Jesus Christ. Contentment is believing that we are sons and daughters of the King of the universe, and He's created us as we are with our gifts, with our abilities, and yes, with our limitations. And if we want to silence envy and coveting, then we must become content. Paul says this, not that I'm speaking of being in need, for I've learned in whatever situation I'm to be content. I know how to be brought low. I know how to abound. In any and every circumstance, I have learned the secret of facing plenty and hunger, abundance and need. He says, I can do all things through him who strengthens me. Now this verse is famous I've seen it on t-shirts and quotes, Philippians 4.13. I can do all things through Christ who strengthens me, but it's built on the admission from Paul that he will not be driven about what he does not have or what he does. He will not be bitter because someone else has it better. Rather, he will be content and satisfied because he has learned the pitfalls of being contentious, of being envious. And he has chosen to be content. 
Now, James goes on to outline these powerful truths. The fact is, the wrong desires at times lead us to the wrong actions. Murder, not literally, but with our words, with our actions. Coveting, meaning desiring someone else's stuff. Fighting, quarreling. They're all results to us being selfish and wanting things to please ourselves. Our attitude of self-centeredness leads us to other struggles within. Our constant desire for pleasures. The fact is our desire for pleasure can result in, James says, in praying with the wrong motives. He goes on to tell us, you do not have because you do not ask. You ask because you, and do not receive because you ask wrongly to spend it on your own passions. Now let me stop there and give you a, a little insight into this passage. Here's my translation of this passage for me. It may be painfully blunt and honest. You have not because we go to God as... I've stated before, as if God is your personal genie in a bottle who exists only to give you a bunch of things that you don't need, that you can't handle. And then we get mad when it doesn't come through and we get very angry when somebody else gets it. James says we pray for things that fill our own pleasure and when those things don't come through, it causes resentment towards those who do. And then the warning of James comes true and we get angry and we quarrel and we argue. We become bitter and angry and it spills out. Out of our soul. Onto the relationships around us. If I could just summarize these verses thus far and really what's ahead for us. What we feed takes the lead. What we feed takes the lead. Our desires our pleasures, as we pursue those, and we do so with jealousy and with envy, then our desires begin to fuel us. They begin to lead us and make decisions for us and eventually chart our direction because what we feed takes the lead. C.S. Lewis said in Mere Christianity, our appetites, our desires grow through indulgence, not neglect. What we feed what desires, lust, pride, attitudes, what we pursue takes the lead. What are you pursuing? Is it filling your relationships with peace? Is it spilling outward onto relationships and is it bringing peace, humility, or envy, anger, and empty desires? James continues, you adulterous people, do you not know that friendship with the world is enmity with God? Therefore, whoever wishes to be a friend of the world makes himself an enemy of God. These are strong words. Our relationship problems with people around us are impacted negatively because our relationship with God has been traded for the pleasures of this world. Think about that again. Our relationships on the planet with people around us horizontally have been impacted because of our relationship and trading our pleasures for the relationship with the Lord. Years ago, I was exiting a store, years ago, from a store, and, and a speaker attached somewhere to the door said to me, 
a, a little bell went off and it said, we're sorry, you have activated an inventory control system. Now, that used to be followed by some warning, uh, someone standing off the distance and I would look at them and they would come and they would check my bag to make sure there was nothing that was not supposed to be in the bag. I admit, I, I used to jump and I had this fear inside of me. And what did I do? What did I steal? What did I place in my bag that wasn't supposed to be there? Now, years later, when that little noise goes off at a store, do you know what I do? I just keep walking. Even more honestly than that, I, I turn to an employee of the store and we catch each other's eyes and they give me the little wave. Go ahead. But once, what once caused me to act and stop and ask the question, now does nothing. James is warning the early church, the early believers in their faith, the influence from the world in their faith. The warning is going off again for them. Come back to God, be faithful. Don't turn to anything else. It's impacting your relationship. God is saying to each of us through James, you're having an affair with the world. You've abandoned your love for me, for your selfish pleasures. You've traded your friendship and love with me for a love and a relationship with the world. And for many of us, the inventory alarm has been going off in your life. And you see it in your relationships with fighting and quarreling. You see it in resentment and anger in your heart. You've been warned. You've been brought back. The sirens are going off. And James is saying, hey, come back. Have you traded the desires of the world for a relationship with God? Why don't we surrender? Why, why does it continue to impact us? Because I know for me, when those moments happen, it means that I'm only giving God a, a portion of my life. We're only giving Him a percentage. We're only surrendering certain desires and pleasures, but not all. So then James provides an unbelievable solution. Humility. But he gives more grace, Scripture says. Chapter 4, verse 6, but he gives more grace. Therefore, it says, God opposes the proud, but gives grace to the humble. Now, I know you may be sitting in your living room or wherever you're watching this thinking, I thought this message was about how to handle quarrels and arguments. Instead, we're talking about wants, desires, pride, humility. What's the deal? James is going to break down the steps toward pursuing humility. And as we humble ourselves before the Lord, and as we pursue humility with those around us, then we are no longer pursuing what fills our hearts, our desires, and our direction. Humility is the key to our relationships, according to James. Humility has a, a million definitions that I've read over the years. 
In Scripture, there's the greatest evidence of humility is in the birth, the life, and the death of Jesus Christ. But what about humility towards others? What is a humble posture? What is it to be humble before others in relationships? A humble posture means that I am aware that there are things in me that are not done yet. And the more I resign myself and remind myself of this, the more I realize that that I don't have it all figured out and solved. And the more I remember this, the more I don't look upon others with wrong motives. The less I fight for my desires. And then I can serve and honor others. I read this online this week. The more aware I am of what God has yet to do in me, the less aware I am and the less consumed I am by what He has yet to do in people around me. Translation, humility. If I will remain focused on what God is continuing to do with me, then I don't begin with a posture of anger or resentment towards someone else. This is humility in relationships to others, led by humility in our relationship with God. Recognizing our constant need to examine our hearts, our desires, our leadings, and then coming for the Lord and saying, God, how do I become more humble? So how do we achieve this type of humility? James is going to show us. First, give God control of your life. In verse 7, he says, Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Something you may not know about me, but I'm not a good quitter. You could go back and ask my sister-in-law, who the first time I met her, I played Monopoly with her, and I was winning. And I mean, I was really winning. But instead of quitting the game and just calling it a truce, I would not stop until I had control of the entire board. Now, you may not have that problem with everything, but most of us have one area of our lives with which we would say, I will not give up. But in reality, James says in verse 7, what does he remind us? Submit yourselves, therefore, to God. Give up this area of your life. James is literally saying, God, I give up on trying to do life my way. It's not working. I've tried. I've had pleasures, but they're empty. I give up. I give into your ways and your leading. I remember a moment where I had this realization. I'd been a Christian for over 13 years. And one semester while I was on break and home from college, I sat in my bedroom in Charlotte. And I remember saying something like this, God, you take the lead. I've tried. It's not working. I give up. I surrender to you. I've damaged others. I need to find healing. I need you to take the lead. I submit to you. Many of us have trusted Christ with our mouths, but we've not given God a free reign and said, God, I give up and Give into your desires and your direction. This brings me to a question I would like each of you to answer honestly. 
Do you trust God with your entire life? James is trying to help us to quit playing a game. Submission here to simply put ourselves under someone else's control. Your decisions, your health, the raising of your children, your need to pay the grocery bill, your your next move, your marriage, your addictions, your your wants, your needs, and say, I, as James says in verse 7, I submitted all to the Lord. If we want to become humble and receive God's grace, submit. Give up. Here's what else needs to take place as we try to address the struggles with him. James says, resist the devil. Resist the devil and he will flee from you. Now he's going to give us a couple breakdowns of how we do that, but but James, how do, we, how do we resist? How do we do this on a daily basis? Make Scripture your friend. Make God's Word your fighting words. Flee temptation. Quit feeding the pleasures and the desires that are leading you to sin. But thankfully, James doesn't just say resist and he moves on. No, he gets more specific. How do we resist? First, we get close to God. He goes on to say, draw near to God. and He will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners. Purify your heart, you double-minded. Be wretched and mourn and weep, yet your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Now we get a few specifics on how to draw close to God. He says, wash your hands, cleanse your hands, your heart. A couple specifics for us. How do we draw close to God? How do we find humility? How do we begin to pursue this? Wash your hands and your heart. Now, throughout the Old and New Testament of the Bible, there are constant expressions to cleanse or to wash your hands, preparing them for worship. The Apostle Paul, when he spoke of hands, it was the outward use or expression of the hands reflected the posture or the status of the heart. Lifting holy hands. Hands are to be cleansed and point toward an inward cleaning of our heart, examining our desires. Then he goes on to say, after we we clean our heart, we place that before the Lord and to be broken before the Lord, be wretched, mourn, and weep. Each of those verbs from James carry a weight of a person being broken by their sin. Charles Spurgeon wrote that there's a deep connection between our souls being in distress, being broken, and having sound theology, a right thinking of God, the connection is this. When we realize our sin, we recognize the weight of sin carried to the cross by Jesus Christ. And when we realize this, the more thankful we are for His grace. We turn from our sins and mistakes. How do we find ourselves to be humble? We turn from our sins and our mistakes. We repent. God does not just want us to come to Him, but to turn from our mistakes. Those verbs again, grieve, mourn, cry out, change your laughter to mourning and your joy to gloom. As you read through those the first time, you think that sounds horrible. But in essence, what James is telling us is get serious. Get serious about changing your ways and seeking the forgiveness and the grace of God. Sin grieves God. It should do the same for us. In the Old Testament, Isaiah says, 
Woe to me, for I am a man of unclean lips. Sin is serious. But God's grace is greater. We have to quit, as James says, dabbling in sin as if we're partners of it. Purify your inner life. Hit the floor. And if necessary, cry your eyes out. Get serious. Really serious. If you want to restore and bring healing to broken relationships and find the way, the path to handle disagreements and quarrels, and to do so with humility, then we must place ourselves before the Lord. Then an amazing thing happens, verse 10. Humble yourselves before the Lord, and He will exalt you. As we humble ourselves before the Lord, then, then He does the very thing that we try to do with our lives. He lifts us up. He does what we can't do. He lifts us up on high to exalt, to put you in high favor. Now this high favor, please, it's not about getting all of those desires and pleasures of the world that James hints at, at verses one through three. No, when we surrender to the Lord, the greatest way that he could lift you high is to offer you the hope found in Jesus Christ. And by offering you grace and mercy, he lifts us up out of the drudge and the, the shackles of our sin. And then out of humility, out of our brokenness, out of our healing, it's from that place we enter relationships. It's in that place, not in judgment, not in placing ourselves lording over someone else, but serving them, coming under them. Humility. The wisdom of James is this. If you want to resolve conflicts in your relationships, then Let's use James' message to outline a few questions. First one, what are my motives in the fight? Is my motive to be right, to be mended, or find peace? Second question, what desire am I feeding and how is it leading my relationships? Is there an addiction? Maybe to something or someone a lust, a desire, a pleasure that every decision is being filtered through your pursuit of that thing or that person. Therefore, how is it leading your relationships? Is resentment, anger, bitterness pouring out? Have I surrendered my motives to God? Broken, humble, mourning, weeping. Do I have a personal relationship with God? Draw near, confess, and He will save you. Could be today that you are having a hard time thinking about the relationship with others because you do not have a relationship with God built on His grace and His forgiveness. Draw near, confess, Scripture says, and He will save you. James he wants us to have peace. But He wants us to start by having peace in the relationship that matters the most. Our relationship to God through Jesus Christ. Because when we do, faith takes action in our words 
When we do, faith takes action to pursue wisdom. When we do, faith takes action in our relationships. James is growing us up quickly. If we're willing to be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to anger. And his teaching will impact our quarrels and our fighting if we continue to grow in humility and contentment. Let's pray. God, you know that this is a constant examination. This is not a one-off message of going, well, let me take this morning and think about my relationships and then not think about it again. No, James is building a much stronger foundation that if we will examine our submission to you, God, our placing ourselves in surrender and seeking you for wisdom in our words and wisdom in our relationships, wisdom in our actions, if we will seek humility there, then it will impact future disagreements, future quarrels, future fights. The early church needed guidance in this area. The church today needs guidance in this area. The early believers needed wisdom from James in this area. Likewise, so do I. Without a doubt, there are many that are watching that have relationships that are in constant fighting, constant disagreements. And God, I pray for healing in those relationships. I pray for humility in those relationships that someone would start by saying, how is my relationship to God impacting my relationship to others? And may we quit, as James says, replacing our passion for the Lord with the passion for things of this world. And may we find humility and grace through Christ for our relationships on this world, on this planet, in our church, in our families, in Jesus' name, amen. Thank you so much for joining us again in the book of James. Again, this week, uh, one of you that had watched each week sent us a letter that I'm gonna be able to share with our team that films and puts all and connects all the dots to make this happen for you each week. Thank you for letting us know. It really, really does encourage us to continue on.